Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today, the episode comes out a bit earlier than usual uh, because I have recording with Martyr Mate in about an hour or so. And I just wanted to touch on some, some important things that had happened before I get to long and blinded debates about causes and everything. I, I presume it's going to be for at least two hours or something. I don't know. Well, let's see now. I hope that Martyr made uh, Daryl Cooper records this and and that I get my position out as well. Because, again, I respect him, I just disagree with him. So, about today. Currently, Oleksiy Aristovich, an advisor to Zelensky, basically predicts that um, in two, three weeks, the active phase of the war could be over. Then we'll have more or less clean up, clean up jobs and whatever, and... Um, and one thing is that, if you think about it, Zelensky better have all the authority ever to kind of stop um, stop Ukrainian soldiers from moving into Russia. Because, to be fair, if Putin doesn't want to negotiate, and negotiations include his resignation, then, uh, then yeah, things might turn bad. But, well, this advisor reports that the active phase is almost over near Kiev, Kharkov, Sumy and Chernigov. The thing is that I still believe in a mass assault in Kiev. I think that's going to be the one last punch. We're going to see massive brutality over Kiev. And I think Mr. Aristovich is a bit too optimistic here. He also states that even if they grab some more reserves and will try to go into assault again, then it will still be their loss because, well, Ukrainians have... a acquired some experience over here, and they're quite successful at their jobs. And uh, he also states that, well, they could they could be holding on to a week or, or seven days or something. And that they have lost strategically already, and that they'll lose oper- operationally as well. And he states that the people who have gone away from Kiev will be able to return home after that period. Now, my, in my plans, by the way... Uh, just so you know, well, I want to go to Transnistria. That's a bit of a difficult thing because it's Moldova and we're right above it and 
to get straight to Moldova, you need to fly over Belarus and Ukraine, which is impossible right now, because I want to get into Transnistria, where Russian troops are located. And that's one of the... I've been saying this a lot, a lot of times. Transnistria is one of those Russian enclaves. It's kind of like Donbass, except it has been there since 1992. However, we haven't seen any heavy attacks from there. They have demanded Moldovan independence, but I don't know much about it. But I would like to check out why, though. So, I'm planning on, on that currently. However, however, if the war ends quickly, then um, I'll, I'll probably be going to Kiev instead. At any rate, I intend to go further on and um, do more investigational stuff and report to you from the front lines, because currently I'm, ba I'm back in Riga. Another important thing that came up was Investigate Europe Research Center stated that 10 EU countries had continued to sell, sell weapons to Russia even after the fact that in 2014 there was a, a Russian weapons embargo. Basically, you couldn't sell weapons to Russia. Uh, TVP Info, a Polish source, tells me that, but they, they have all the links to the sources of Investigate Europe. And, you know, and the European Union stated this weapons embargo after, after the annexation of Crimea and after they, after they basically caused the whole Donbass thing to happen. However, both uh, François Hollande and Emmanuel Macron had confirmed that France has been making discreet weapons deliveries to Moscow. At the same time, it basically states that France has sold military equipment to Russia worth 152 million euros, including, uh, including, thermo, including thermo cams for tanks, also navigational systems and infrared detectors for Russian jet fighters and attack helicopters. Mean, meanwhile, Germany has exported various military equipment to Russia as well for the worth of 121.8 million. Both of these are the biggest uh, exporters, France and Germany. And also... Eight other countries just, you know, broke the rules. Austria, Bulgaria, Czechia, Croatia, Italy, Slovakia, Finland, and Spain. I think that um, a bit of a conversation should should happen to them. This this happened from 2015 to 2020. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been criticized for maybe yelling at America, but I, I won't throw a rock at my own EU people since, well... You know, especially Germany, since you guys um, have banned weapons deliveries and sales by other countries to Ukraine. Well, you did a while ago. Meanwhile, turns out you've been selling 138 million euros worth of rifles and everything to Russia. Now, how's that fair? I think that um, some really important and meaningful questions need to be asked. Another important matter is that Currently, there's a lot of um, Ukrainian refugees all over the place, including Latvia. And there are kids among them, a lot of kids. Kids and women make the majority of them. And we need to send them to school somewhere. And my government has got a lot of slack and criticism, a lot of flack, sorry, for, for the fact that we're sending them to our Russian minority schools, where from the first to sixth grade, your language of, of, of communication is Russian. And a lot of people have stated, well, how, how can they, how can they um, study in the same schools as the, as the aggressors, right? However, I think that's a really clever idea, since, if you think about it, this will expose 
the Russian-speaking population of Latvia, and I presume of other Baltic countries as well, because I, I think they have similar schools over there like this one, to to kind of real realities of the war. They'll just be dropped out of um, of Putin's propaganda machine, which is pretty nice. So that that's that's pretty neat. Also, well, about about China doesn't seem like China will in any way support Russia directly. However, they might as well do something discreetly. As you know, if we've if we've seen EU countries do this, pretty sure China will do some some aid, but um I don't think it'll be too substantial. In the end, Russia will have to repay a lot of money, and they'll have to do it in some sort of foreign currency. And I'm pretty sure that that foreign currency will be yuan, which is just, well, logical if you think about it, since since how else are you going to get a foreign, foreign currency? At the same time, it's going to be um, pretty difficult to do this, because, well, I mean, China doesn't want to get under sanctions themselves, which is nice. Meanwhile, Russian oligarchs uh, are still complaining about losing money. One who dropped from $10 billion to $4 billion called EU sanctions groundless and unfair and complained that he wouldn't know how to live. Well, you know, if you have multiple billions of dollars, I'm pretty sure you'll figure something out. Also, Italy, out of all, all places, did the most Italian thing ever, which I just thoroughly enjoyed. Um, Italy, their, their Minister of Culture, Dario Fran Frances Franceschini, I'm sorry if I butcher this, has basically pushed through the parliament a bill that will make sure that Italy will rebuild the theater of Mariupol. And, and I mean, just coming back from Rome and seeing all their culture and everything, yeah, bravo. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. Since A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since everything is basically basically going weird now. Also, I checked on Pravda. You know, the old USSR style newspaper. And yeah, I read through them. Uh, there's going to be an article about this in foreign policy again. I'm writing that tomorrow after this is finished. And my long episode has been sent to Anate. But yeah, I read the article about about when in 1968, just before USSR went across the Prague Spring, what they wrote. And I figured out that that's, that's where they basically stole that ideology from. Yeah, sorry, random phone call. But basically, 
Putin has stolen a lot of um, a lot of his agenda from the Soviet era, word for word, basically. The same, by the way, goes for the Soviet invasion of Hungary. It seems like Putin has been trying to recreate the Prague Spring over here, albeit well less successfully. Meanwhile, also in Russia, for those Crimea Day events that happening that are happening in Russia right now, the local authorities and state media literally ordered people to avoid Ukraine colors and clothing, and they stated that you should only, you should only, basically uh, just picture Slavic people, no migrants allowed for mass photos, and participation to this event was mandatory under the threat of being fired. I posted this in the morning. Later on, Will Vernon from BBC, actually who is in Moscow right now, reported the following that they had been there to Lushkov Square and Luzhniki, sorry, Luzhniki Stadium, and that they had reported the fact that many of people who were there said they worked in the public sector, like school teachers, and that they had been pressured into attending by their employers. One group of teachers from a town near Moscow were being told what to say to us, well, to them, to BBC, by a woman who appeared to be from the local administration. One man who works in Moscow Maestro told us that he and other employees had been forced to attend the rally. Quote, I'll be here for a while and then I'll leave. I think most people here don't support the war. I don't. And uh, he also reports that in comparison to opposition rallies, most people didn't want to talk, be filmed or answer any questions. Some would cover their faces or put up their hoods when, said we, were, when we said we were journalists. Many seemed embarrassed or ashamed to be there. And students told BBC, again when I say us, I'm just quoting, uh, quoting my colleague from the BBC here, Students told us they had been they had been given the option of a day off from lectures if they attended a concert. Some of them didn't even know that the, the event was dedicated in part to support Russian forces in Ukraine. So, this is weird. Meanwhile, Putin's propaganda machine puts out polling that states that 81.6% of Russians support this. Now, I know that a lot of Russians actually do support this because they've been mostly brainwashed by their propaganda machine. However, the numbers seem to be way too high. Just way, way too high. And then also another thing which sparked my interest about the mobilization and the Russian odds and all the situation. You know, all the military analysts have been basically stating that, um, that Russia is this invincible mega powerhouse and everything on paper. And you all know stories about Russian men and population and their manpower. But turns out it's just not the case, to be honest since Russia's population is extremely aging. I mean, they don't have that many young men. They lost insane amounts of people during World War II, and that caused a massive population decline, and I've been talking about this on previous historical episodes of the show. So, Russia maybe doesn't want to mobilize just to see that no one actually wants to mobilize. This is important, since on April the 1st, their spring mobilization comes in, and people who come from wealthier, uh, wealthier neighborhoods, you have to just be middle class, they're all trying to avoid the draft as much as humanly possible. It is considered dishonorable, and you're a fool and lowly educated dumb person if you actually go to the Russian army. They basically take in the people who come from um, kind of more impoverished regions and more kind of with, with, less, uh, with less opportunities for other jobs, just like I've been saying. So Putin knows that if he now does full mobilization, then it quite well could probably mean that um, a lot of people will protest that too. But so far, so far it doesn't seem like everything's going well for him. 
one thing that needs to be done definitely is that the ability to cut off Russia's salaries for the Siloviki, the Rosguardia, the people who beat up protesters. That must happen. Then we'll see true uprisings in Russia. When Putin finally can't pay those people who still beat up protesters and arrest them in mass, and we, we've heard like 14,000 arrested, yeah, then, then, it'll ch- then a change will happen. I am vehemently against any peace treaty or deal that leaves Putin in power, because then he'll have some revanchism going on, and then he actually might use nukes or, or do something stupid like that. Putin cannot stay in power, Putin must be arrested, and I hope that someone out there does this. But to do that, you must ensure that all the people who claim they're outside of politics and that they're not interested, they're just doing their jobs, yeah, we need to make them understand that um, it's actually very criminal orders that they're observing and that there is a real, real threat of, um, of basically Russia itself getting punished militarily. Because, you know, I've been telling people that, um, and I'll tell this to Daryl Cooper later today as well, that yes, Putin hates negotiating. He he's he's negotiating his weakness. And if you don't listen, don't want to listen to me, listen to the famous Russian opposition billionaire, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who sat in prison for twenty years. He says the same thing. Yulia Latinina, a very respected Russian journalist, Alexander Nevzorov. Basically, everyone with actual ties to Russia who know what's going on just understand that Putin works by panyatia, these these laws of Soviet prisons. He's he's kind of like, you know, uh, a, a murderer and a thief with authority put into charge of things. Any tre- Treating him like uh, someone that you could actually negotiate with without a gun to his head, that's stupidity. That won't happen. He'll just, you know, figure out that, whew, got off easy, stupid folks, they still believe me. Yeah, that's his attitude. This is what I'm, what I'm going to push through because... It's the very thing that that people don't understand. Yes, Russia lives in a total lie atmosphere. No, you can't believe a single word Russian government states. Just as the Soviet Union, they lied in everything. It is total lies. Total nonsense. There is no other opi- opinion. There is nothing like that. They think lying is a virtue. They think scamming someone is a virtue. And... Literally, everyone whom I respect and, and whom I listen to, basically, with, with, with respectable ties and most of them outside of Russia at this point, yeah, a lot of people agree. And maybe so-called Western experts should spend a bit more time listening to us over here in the eastern border rather than, uh, well, rather than this politician. I don't remember his name and I just won't look it up because he's not worth it. I I think this was like a doctor or something who posted on Twitter that um, Zelensky should be ashamed of himself because he didn't wear a suit for his Congress speech in the United States. Yeah, because he's in a war zone and he's pulling off a PR stunt by being close to the people. That's obvious. He's um, he's an actor after all and a very good PR personality. But well, what about what I said about um, about this mobilization and information of the people? YouTube is being cut off in Russia, starting from, well, today, and they plan on cutting it off completely by the end of the next week. So there's even less ways how to deal with this. Therefore, I have to again say thank you to ExpressVPN, and please, if you can, and if you're listening to this from Russia, go get a VPN. It'll help you. They'll, that'll probably even save your life and livelihoods. But yeah, that's, that's it for me today. I expect a properly edited episode soon.
I'm off to do a bit of preparation about Putinism on my talk with Daryl. Yeah, and uh, thank you for all the support. Uh, it's always welcome since, well, I'm actually trying to trying to get a get a part-time day job so that I can deal with my tax issues since our IRS service doesn't know how to tax me properly, so I can't I can't get a mortgage, for example. So your support really is helping me alive because yeah, this is this is the only job that I have. So so yeah, thank you to all the patrons, patrons who support the show. If you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash border. When I have the time, I'll post some rewards there. I just, just don't right now. And uh, if you really want to support the show, then you can click the donate button on the easternborder.lv. And of course, donate to all Ukrainian charities and go to Airbnb. If I'll see more Gonzo stuff and Gonzo ways how you can help, I'll of course post them. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.